You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. It's The Big Show. Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is from uh, Dave in Arbor Lake. Uh, it's ACDC. It's a long way to the top. You wanted the bagpipe part. The banging part, but the bagpipes. Yeah. Uh, keep them rolling in. 960, 960, name and location. The song we should play the day after a Flames win. 960, 960, name and location. The season starts tomorrow at home against the Jets. We could potentially be playing this song on Thursday morning, so we need your help. 960, 960, name and location. At the bottom of the hour, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN senior writer, will join us. But right now, on the Tom's House of Pizza guest line, Brought to you by Tom's House of Pizza. Pizza made to perfection with locations in Calgary and Okotoks. Our man, NFL analyst for CBS Sports, Charles Davis. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're good. Charles, what's your pump-up song? What's your big-time pump-up song? (laughs) You know, it's evolved over time. Okay. And it changes a lot, which is why I was thinking maybe... Think about after the Flames win, the song's theme to who you just beat and have some of that go on. So I'm just throwing that out there for my okay. box. But for me, to be frank with you, yep. do you remember the Wolf of Wall Street? Of course. of course. And, and you remember, remember the end when, when Jordan was going to sign that agreement out of the business, et cetera, and then he talks to his troops, yep. and right in the middle he goes, I'm not bleeping leaving. Yep. Right? Yeah. Right? The hey thing that he talked. Yep. They, there you go. Mm. There we go. There's my man. Yes, he got it. Uh, That's become my deal. When he does, I, I do that. I do that. I pop that on when I need it. Yep. And I'm telling you, it never fails me. Never, ever. And, and, you know, the fact is that that's a warm-up exercise for Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Mm. And Leo saw him doing it. He's like, what are you doing? And he told him what he was doing, and he's like, we got to put that in. <laughs> and that's where it became the scene at the table at the lunch. Yeah. Where McConaughey told him that, taught him that. And then, of course, it paid itself off when he told the troops, I'm not believing, leaving. Yep. There we go. Uh, Charles, when you said Wolf of Wall Street, immediately the one Margot Robbie scene pops into my head. But we're not going to go there. Okay. We're not going to go there. That's immediately the first thing that popped into my head when you said Wolf of Wall Street. But I do appreciate that. And that McConaughey scene with um, Leo there at the beginning is incredible. Um, wanted to ask you, I want to start here. What did you think of that Patriots loss on Sunday, Charles? Was that the worst one of Bill Belichick's career in New England? Well, by score, it wasn't because they lost bigger to Dallas, but yeah. it felt like it. Because because Dallas, I don't think any of us expected them to win that game. I don't, think, I don't think we expect them to get jumped on. Yeah. Let, hard as hey, Charles, we're going to have to reconnect with you. Your phone's a little wonky. Let's reconnect with them there, GVP. Because uh, things aren't good right now uh, in New England. What, back-to-back? They're shut out this week. They lose by 35 the week prior. Shut out at home. Like, listen... 
Mac Jones is not very okay, but right. this and, isn't just Mac and Jones. And we're, we're talking about like I know Ross mentioned last week. Like, he wants to stick around until he gets Shula's record. He's nineteen. He needs twenty wins to pass Shula. Where are the twenty wins going to come right. over the next five years for New England? It feels oh, like the next five years. Maybe not that much, but like three years at I least. Think it's relatively fair. Like this was a team that averaged twelve wins a year for a good clip. Who's the most exciting player on the Patriots right now? Matthew Judon, and he's hurt. Yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> Pretty That's much it. it. That's it. Yeah. Full stop. I you, don't know where else you go. You, I, I kind of thought about this on the weekend. Mm. You know who could potentially go to New England that they would need? Mm. Kyler Murray. <sighs> I Especially if you don't have... Because Bill doesn't want, like paying. If you are, get Arizona, you need a good chunk of that. Are Kyler Murray and Bill just so opposite? Like, I know that Bill has been able to work with a lot of quarterbacks there. before there, but like that feels like there is just so much disconnect in between the middle that I don't know if it would work. Uh, Charles Davis back on the uh, Tom's House of Pizza guest line. Um, sorry, Charles, your phone was just a little wonky there. We were just talking about the Patriots, and um, obviously uh, you talked about how just the feels... Of that loss to New England. Can I throw something really quick at you that I thought about on the weekend? Sure. sure. What about Kyler Murray ending up in New England to play for the Patriots? Listen, everything's out there now. And I think I probably would have said, eh, a couple of years ago. Right. But he embraced Cam, he embraced Cam Newton. Yeah. You know? And that's a different way of doing things compared to what we saw for 20 years with Tom Brady. So I don't think that he would take that and kick it to the side immediately. But all that being said, the Patriots, when you really get down to it, roster is where you where the issue is. Mm-hmm. They just don't have players we're used to them having. Now, I think what's going to get lost in everything is everyone's going to immediately say, well, Without Brady, everything's gone to heck. And there's a big part of that. Tom Brady, of course, is the all-time greatest quarterback we've ever seen play by most people's, you know, polls. But think of the other guys that were around that contributed, that made plays when they needed them. A Willie McGinnis, who still owns the record for sacks in playoffs. A Dante Hightower, who knocks Matt Ryan and the ball loose and changes the course of a Super Bowl and gives mm. the greatest comeback ever. You know, I can go on and on and on. Tom Brady's not the only Hall of Famer that played for those teams. So there were other players that contributed and contributed in a big way. Tom Brady, of course, made everything that much better. They don't have any of those guys. When I say any, they have very few of them. And now Matthew Judon, who would be one of those guys, hurt, probably gone for the year. Christian Gonzalez, the rookie corner that they draft, who's playing really well. Hurt, possibly gone for a long time. It's not the year. They just don't have the players. Flip it over to offense. If you're a defensive coordinator and you look at their offense and you say to yourself, as I get ready for the Patriots, who scares me? Give me a name. Oof. That's we, the problem. We were yeah. just trying to. Kendrick narrow- Bourne? Yeah. I don't know. Remember the word I used. <laughs> <It> scares you. <laughs> Charles, which roster has... Listen, listen. I'm not saying respect. Yeah. Because you respect Kendrick. He's a good player. Do you respect Ramondre Stevenson? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you go to bed at night and wake up at 2 in the morning going, oh, God, how do I defend that guy? You do it with Tyreek Hill. Yeah. You do now with Devon Achan. 
right? I could go on for, for, for a long time. I don't have anyone that I look at in the Patriots roster right now on offense that I would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, oh, I've got to change my plan or I have to add to my plan, et cetera. I respect a great number of them. I don't have guys I consider wreckers. I don't have guys that I consider that's going to shred me. And that was last year. And as much as I respect Coach Belichick and how can you not, I said on air last year in one of their games, they have no one on offense that scares you. And guess what? Even after the offseason, mm-hmm. the answer is still the same in my eyes. I still don't see anyone that scares me. I see people I respect, but no one scares me. And by the way, they scored three points in their last two games. They scored 55 points for the season. Do you realize that teams that they have played have scored 55 points off of Patriot turnovers this season? Well, oof. But but isn't that twofold in New England that he's responsible for that roster? Yeah. Charles, he's the one yeah, handpicking no this roster, too. Like, right, there's no sugarcoating it. There's no, no changing it. There's no saying, hey, there's a GM, there's a someone. I don't agree with the GM, blah, blah, blah. No, at the end of the day, he signed up for it. He signs off for it. He has it. So ultimately, it's all his package. And by the way, I think if he were sitting here next to me, he would look at me, and he may not like this discussion, but he would not shy away from the fact that he's in charge. Mm-hmm. People who are great that have in charge understand when they aren't when things aren't going right, but they're also the same competitor that says, "Yeah, it may not be right now, but I know how to fix it." And that's what we got to find out in New England: how is it going to be fixed? Because he's responsible for it right now, and he's got to find a way to fix it. Um, is he going to survive long enough to break Shula's record as the head coach of the Patriots? Can he, can he win what around twenty more games to break the record? Like, great can, question. Is Bob Kraft even going to do question. that? Like, is Bob Kraft even going to let? Because I feel like Charles, and I want to obviously get your opinion. I feel like this is a situation where Bob Kraft, you can't fire Bill Belichick. He can quote unquote retire and then have like a, a job in the front office somewhere. Like, I just don't see a scenario where that guy gets fired. Do you? I don't think that he would want to do that, obviously. They've got too much invested in each other. I mean, their symbiotic relationship has six Super Bowl championships. So that just doesn't happen out of hand. But if you go back and review the last couple of years, do a little little homework, right, which you guys don't need to do. You already have it. Did you start noticing certain quotes that came from Mr. Kraft? about the roster, about free agency, about what's going on, expectation that this should be a playoff team this year, things of that nature. So, yes, I'm with you. I don't see him wanting to fire Coach Belichick at all, but I also don't see him standing pat and saying, this way's, uh, hey, you, you've got carte blanche, do it your way. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Mr. Kraft was having discussions or will about certain things that he will want to see. Does that mean someone who helps with the roster now, a true general manager? Does it mean I've got thoughts about the coaching staff? Does it mean, right, all those things? And what if those discussions lead to something that Coach Belichick finds untenable? And as you said, he's not firing him, but if I want to see these things, Coach Belichick doesn't want to do them, then we get the old mutually agreed to separate thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I I don't think we're there by any stretch. But a few years ago, it would have been unthinkable. I don't think it's unthinkable. I just think that the way we've heard Mr. Kraft over the last few years, 
He's expressed some real concerns, and he's put it on record. And that's different than we saw during their Super Bowl run. So we're watching one dynasty. The curtains close. We wait for an encore. Perhaps we're watching another one begin out in San Francisco. I'm looking at their schedule right now. They got the Eagles at the link in week 13. But, Charles, I don't know. Apart from that, this 49ers team looks like they could really roll over the rest of the league for the rest of the season. Could you see it happening? We always have that anticipation. We always look at it. Yeah, that could happen. And we've seen it happen once. The closest we had since then, of course, was the Patriots. And that they got all the way to the Super Bowl for it. I'm not sure it's the best formula. As much as we love the history, it's not the best formula for a team because of us. And when I say us, I mean us media people, right? Because you guys know what happens when streaks go on. All of a sudden, everybody shows up. And now everybody, in the old days, everybody met somebody from the Penny Gazette all of a sudden had a press credential. <laughs> now the Penny Gazette already has the press credential. Here comes the 13-year-old kid with a with an iPhone, <laughs> right, <laughs> who shows up with a media. So the hordes just really kick in. They will have a game somewhere where it just doesn't go right. Doesn't make them the you know, doesn't make them bad, just a bad day. I'm anticipating that happening somewhere. But I'm not saying Philadelphia. They'll be ready to play for Philadelphia. Someone else will sting them that we don't expect, but they will still be one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league. They are so complimentary offense, defense, kicking game. Kyle Shanahan's locked in as he has been on the play calling. And one thing I want you guys to think about, that defense has gone from being led by Robert Sala, who essentially built it, right, with his crew, to D'Amico Ryan's to now Steve Wilkes. All three had their own twists on what they want to do, but all three have the same basic core about how to get to the quarterback and how to play defense. And that defense has not dropped off under three different coordinators in this run. It, it also helps when you have Fred Warner and uh, Bosa uh, terrorizing Warner, the quarterback. Dre, that's, that's, well, Hargraves. Yeah. See, but that's, your, that's the point, and you made a really good one there. These coordinators know who their players are, mm-hmm. right? You don't mess with your players. You fill in around them and you keep adding, but you add your own little twists about how you do things. Because remember this, those players have to buy into those coordinators. So how are those coordinators still reaching those players? Because when a person leaves that a player likes, the next person's got to prove it, especially if you're a star. So you got to prove it to Fred Warner that he, you're capable of him following and listening to. Three different coordinators have proven it to Fred Warner. All right? That's pretty impressive, pretty impressive to me. It's kind of crazy for me because this is a Niners team that has been heralded for their defense for years, but I almost feel like watching their offense that that's something to be more frightened of if I'm an opposing head coach right now. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I think are we done with the – Boy, that Brock Purdy's a heck of a story thing. Sometimes you just play past it. I don't know what year we got to where the Tom Brady was a heck of a story thing went away and mm. we could just, you know, marvel how great he was. Yeah. But Brock Purdy's approaching that status. And maybe I guess to finish it off like Brady did, you gotta win a Super Bowl. And Brady didn't just win the Super Bowl. He did it with the drive to finish the Super Bowl, remember? Because yeah. 
there was a big thought in that Rams Super Bowl, the first one, that we were headed to overtime. Hey, just run the clock out. Let's get to overtime. They put the ball in the hands of that second-year quarterback and said, let's go win this thing, and he did. Brock Purdy seems capable of doing that as well. Charles Davis, NFL analyst for CBS Sports, NFL Network, joining us here on the Tom's Hosts of Pizza guest line. Um, Charles, you did the uh, Ravens and Steelers game on Sunday, a typical Ravens and Steelers game. Is there a matchup in the NFL where two teams respect each other more than the Steelers and Ravens? I don't think so. I really don't. In respect, which is – there was someone did a documentary not terribly long ago about Ohio State-Michigan, and I think someone did one on North Carolina Duke basketball, and both of them had something in there about a good hate or, you know, born yeah. to hate, that sort of deal. That's Raven Steelers. And here's the crazy part. After that win by the Steelers, which I'm still – you know, I literally was in the car going to the airport and talking with my crew. And I said, did we just watch that happen? Did that just happen? <laughs> because Baltimore, Baltimore controls 85 to 90% of the game. And they did not win the ball game. But in this rivalry now, the Steelers have won six of the last seven, which is stunning to me in this rivalry. Lamar Jackson, that's the first game he played against them in two seasons because he'd been hurt. He'd only played three of the previous five or six or whatever it was because of injuries. Baltimore had that game. Baltimore had a chance to be up 21 nothing in the first half, and they let it get away. And it was interesting because John Harbaugh told us the night before, essentially said it, we feel like we're better. But if we let them hang around, that's where issues creep in in this series. And guess what? They did. And it, and it did. Kenny Pickett made a great play down the stretch with George Pickens. But throughout the game, was Kenny Pickett looking like a big-time quarterback? No. Baltimore had him on the run. They had the whole thing stuffed. And somehow that game flipped. So that's why we always look at the NFL and just, you know, when just when you think you know, yeah. you really don't. Pittsburgh has that grit. Baltimore has that grit. And guess what? You end up with a, with a one-score game again. Charles, are there people in the NFL, executives, former players, who are secretly loving what's going on in Denver with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson? They're not secretly loving it. <laughs> they are doing everything but, but throwing a party. I will tell you this. I'm betraying zero confidences here, okay? I will not do that. And I'm not trying to I would never expect you to. But but this is – I know you wouldn't. You guys are great that way. But what I'm saying is this is going to sound, you know, well, I talked with, you know, and guess what? That's not what I'm saying. In our jobs, as you guys know, sometimes we're fortunate enough. We're, we're privy with high-powered people, right? All three of us are very fortunate that way. That Sometimes we can get to people that, that, that our fans cannot. We know that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying I some people to go, oh, look at Davis. He, the bottom line is – I've talked with two general managers, a team president, and one head coach in the last three weeks. And every one of them in our conversation at some point or another, without me prompting, has brought up Denver's struggles, and all of them were smirking about it. Hmm. Did that tell you anything? Yeah, tells me a lot. And truthfully, they didn't smirk last year talking about Denver. 
<laughs> this has all been since Peyton took over. And 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 it, and I and I trace it to one thing. When he ripped Nathaniel Hackett and how they did things before and the worst coach team and all that, it's very simple. You may believe it. It may be true. But in, in, in NFL code, you just don't do that to anyone else. Everyone knows it didn't go well. Everyone knows he got fired. You don't need to do that extra come off the top rope on him. And when it happens, then people start thinking, hey, it might come around on you, dude. And right now, that's how they feel about Denver. Um, Charles, real quick here, too. Um, did the Buffalo Bills just put the blueprint out to every team going to London from now on is don't fly on a Friday while the other team's been there for the entire two weeks getting acclimated to the time change? I do think as much more the other team's been there for two weeks than going on Friday. Hmm. Because the going on Friday from the East Coast you're just trying to stay on your body clock, your time. When I played at Tennessee, all right, back when dinosaurs were out there, right? <laughs> when I played, our person who was in charge of travel, our team trainer, Tim Karen, we never changed our watches. We never changed our clock. In fact, our itineraries all stayed on Eastern time. We never switched. It was a mental thing. Yeah. Did we have to go West Coast often? No. We were really changing between Central and Eastern, okay? So it wasn't a huge deal. But he just never changed it. He wanted all of us to stay exactly where we were. Don't change it. I think that's where Buffalo was. The problem is, as you pointed out, Jacksonville had a monster advantage that the league is now going to hear about, that they were there two straight weeks. Because ETN, Travis ETN, the running back, said it in an article yesterday. He's like, the first game, we were still a little eh. Well, guess what? Both teams are a little eh. But week two, we've been there. He said, I felt it in warm-ups. I felt it in the locker room. I felt our vibe. I knew we were, okay, we're good. And Buffalo, they're, they're, they're there for the first week. Uh, I think, be, I, look, let's be honest about it. No one cared what Jacksonville did when Jacksonville was bad. Okay, no one cared. But guess what? Now that they have a good pro- football team, Everyone in the league is going to be calling and saying, hold up a second. Two straight weeks for them, and the second week's team, that's an advantage. That's not good. Let's see what happens and see if it goes from there. Because Jacksonville doesn't mind playing two straight weeks there. They want to corner the market in London and become become London's team. Charles Davis, uh, NFL analyst for CBS Sports. Charles, always a pleasure. We'll do it on Monday next week. Thanks for this. I look forward to it. Hey, after you win, do you play Benny and the Jets? Oh, just to stick it to him. I like that. Thanks, Charles. throwing it out there. I like it. Thanks, Charles. There's Charles Davis on the Tom's House of Pizza guest line, brought to you by Tom's House of Pizza. Pizza made to perfection with locations in Calgary and Okotoks. Denver Broncos. Hmm. Poor Broncos. They suck so bad, too. Oh, my. Watching that game is so frustrating. I took the Broncos in the bar pool, and I was just hating myself watching that game. Like, what, oh, were, you, like, what were you doing? Yuck. That means you have to watch that. Yeah. Oh, I did watch it, and I was like, oh, I'm so disgusted with myself right now. Let me play game. a sad song for you on the world's smallest violin. It was an entertaining game, though. It was. Yeah, it wasn't like but a But they stink, game. man. Yeah. And Russell Wilson, oof. their defense sucks, too. Like, it stinks. Yeah, it's it's historic. Like, Zach Wilson was carving him up. Mm-hmm. Like, t- Conklin with an enormous catch. That run the there at the like, end there. Like, good, yeah. good God. 
right, Brees get, Hall's run, yeah. And Brees Hall was a monster. Yeah. Um, we got to get to the break. Uh, Greg Wachinski straight ahead. We'll ask him. I asked you the cause. I asked you guys the question. You guys unequivocally said Flames over Kraken. Who's going to finish with more points? I'll ask Greg Wachinski that question. Also, we're still taking your song requests. What song should we play after a Flames victory the next morning? 960, 960, name and location. We'll play a ton of those songs coming up at 830. But Greg Wachinski next. Then Megan Mickelson, our Sportsnet 960, the fan Flames analyst at the top of the clock. It's all straight ahead. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. This is Big Big Mike. Courtesy of our man, Big Mike. Uh, the Cult. We're asking you, Flames victory song we play to kick off our show the next day. 960, 960, name and location. There is a ton of song requests. We'll get to a lot of them at 830, but keep them rolling in. 960, 960, name and location. And the top of the hour, Megan Mickelson, our Sportsnet 960, the fan uh, radio analyst, will join us to talk Calgary Flames. But right now, on the day where the NHL season finally kicks off, ESPN NHL senior writer Greg Wyshynski on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Wish, how are you? Doing well. How are you? And we're good. Thanks for jumping on. Uh, it's here. We're all excited. The National Hockey League season is finally here. I'm going to ask you a question right off the hop here because we discussed this uh, before you jumped on. Which team, in your opinion, finishes with more points in the regular season? The Calgary Flames or Seattle Kraken? The Seattle Kraken will no. finish with more points than the Calgary Flames. I regret to inform you, I, I made my uh, standings predictions on ESPN.com last week, I think it was, and uh, I have the Flames finishing behind the Kraken. But even worse, my friends in Calgary, I have them both finishing behind the resurgent Vancouver Canucks, who what? have the fourth playoff spot in the Pacific Division. Puck drops not for like eight hours. You can still go back and change it. Well, I mean, okay, this is before they lost uh, Carson Soucy for, like, you know, weeks. That, that's a tough one because one of the things I liked about Vancouver was that they added a bit to their blue line uh, in front of Demko. No, I listen, I, I think the Canucks, a full training camp of, of Rick Tockett putting his stamp on the team. Uh, Elias Pettersson, I think, is kind of a stealthy heart trophy candidate this year if he's as good as I think he could be on both ends of the ice. It actually wouldn't surprise me to see him get the – Ryan O'Reilly special and potentially like win the Selkie just because he was that good for his team. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on Vancouver, uh, much to the chagrin of some other teams in the Pacific. Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, wish how surprised were you yesterday with those Hellebuck Shifley extensions? Not surprised in Hellebuck. That was actually, I, I did a, a column of 32 bold predictions for the season uh, I'm only now 31 away from uh, having them all be correct because I predicted that Hellebuck would resign. I, I had heard from some people that know him a little bit that, you know, first of all, he, he's very comfortable in, in Winnipeg playing in that market. And the other thing, too, the economics of him going to market, even with the cap going up and finding the kind of money that the Jets could offer him, plus, you know, the, the comfort, as I always say, when these guys resign, it's where their stuff is. I was pretty confident that he was going to stay. Now, Shifley is a little bit more surprising. I think the way things break as far as what this league looks like and what free agency looks like, he could have done pretty well for himself on the open market. But again, you know, you can't, 
you can't uh, you can't forget about the comfort level for these guys if the money is where they want it to be and the security of a long-term contract and and everything else that goes with it i guess i guess uh, it all worked out i mean it, it is kind of amazing that you know winnipeg has this reputation of people crawling over the wall to try to get out of there sometimes <laughs> but like you know it ends up being in, in a lot of cases that guys do resign there and want to stay how do you see them shaking out in that central Oh, you know, I, I think I had them uh, sixth of memory serves. I, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're an interesting team. They're a good team. They always seem to be a team that, for whatever reason, deals with a bunch of, of injury concerns throughout the season. I, I'm really uh, excited to see what Cole Perfetti can do as sort of the guy that maybe moves into the, the gap left by Pierre-Luc Dubois. But again, it is a gap left by Pierre-Luc Dubois. I mean, this is not the same roster they had last year. It's a bit diminished. And it's more about the teams in the Central that I think are going to maybe jump up. One of them that I'm pretty high on is the National Predators. Uh, the Andrew Brunette effect of him going in and all of a sudden sprinkling magic dust and a team gets better offensively, I think it's a real thing. And it's going to be uh, certainly beneficial to a roster that, that needs a, a bit more goal scoring. But at, at the end of the day, like the UC Soros factor, I think, for the Predators uh, gives me a little bit of hope that they might sneak in as a, as a wild card this year. Then the other one, that I think people are sleeping on is the Arizona Coyotes. Like they're going to be pretty good. They've got good goaltending. The mullet magic was real. They played really well in that arena last year and adding the offense they did in the off season, be it rookie Logan Cooley or a guy like Jason Zucker. Uh, I, I think they're going to surprise some people this year with, with where they finish in the central. Wish I'm not going to lie to you uh, being high in the Canucks, the predators and coyotes. Like I think there's, there's people listening right now almost drove off the road today, this morning. <laughs> Like I'm just I'm just surprised by all of these takes right now that you're dropping on us. Obviously, it's all going to play itself out, no question. But I'm just surprised you're going this way because it feels like the Central's kind of. Uh, is it going to be a wild card team coming out of the Central? Yeah, no, I think there's going to be a wild card team out of the Central and a wild card team out of the Pacific. Again, like listen. It could go one of two ways. Either I'm completely right and yep. I'm a genius, yep. or I'm completely wrong and it's boring. And it's just the same people, the same teams. We always yeah, make, true. making the playoffs and it's stupid and boring. Uh, but it, it, again, I don't make these picks to be contrarian. I really do think that when you look at the Predators and, and, and the effect that a new coach could have on that team, if they are going to actually follow through and play offensively, I think they've got some guys that can make a difference in that roster. And again, like the Soros factor much like the Hellebuck factor for the for the Winnipeg Jets is real, I think there's a chance that he could be the determining factor on whether or not they make or miss the playoffs. And by the way, like as a tandem, uh, and I did my tandem rankings recently on ESPN as well, him and Kevin Lankin are pretty damn good. And, and, and mm. I think that you don't really lose too much uh, when you go to the backup in, in Nashville as well. So they've got a solid foundation on which, on with which to build. Don't forget about the guys like Roman Yossi and Tyson Berry and Ryan McDonough on D as well. So they're, they're a sneaky good team. And, and again, the Central is a little bit topsy-turvy, and, and you have some teams that are kind of diminished, so it could be a, an opportunity for them to jump up. Greg Wyshynski, ESPN NHL senior writer, joining us here on the Atlas Beats and Sports Broadcast Hotline. Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960 The Fan. How important is that team up north in the Edmonton Oilers for them to, if they're going to win a Stanley Cup, or at least get to the Stanley Cup final. How important is it for them to win this division during the regular season? Wish. Oh, well, I think it's pretty important. Um, I, I, but I also think that the reality of your surroundings in the Pacific Division and the reality of this 
somewhat ridiculous playoff format that we have in the National Hockey League uh, is that you're going to have to go through L.A. or Vegas at some point, right? So even if they have home ice and even if they have maybe a, a slightly easier path, I mean, I think we all know what the Pacific Division looks like and what the top three we all expect to be. And so even if they win the division, um, you know, and play a wild card team, it could end up being a wild card team for the division. But I do think at some point they're going to have to go through either Vegas or L.A., and that's not going to be easy. What do you think is a fair number for Elias Lindholm? For his contract? For an extension on a contract. Oh, my God. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm in full. What are the standings going to look like? for? <laughs> I don't have Cap Friendly in front of me. But, but I, I will say that it's encouraging. I think everything that we've heard is encouraging insofar as him sticking around, which, again, you, you talk about, we talk about Winnipeg and, like, the mass exodus uh, that was theorized for them. Like, the fact that that isn't necessarily going to be happening in Calgary, I think, is something that a lot of people uh, wouldn't have uh, predicted a few months ago. I'll switch it up then. Uh, what's going to be a bigger story in Tampa? Steven Stamkos not having a contract yet or this Andre Vasilevsky injury that's going to keep him out a couple of months? <laughs> uh, probably Vasi because, you know, that, that team, so I, 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 to, to, again, throw another uh, uh, bomb in, in, out there, I, I picked them to miss the playoffs. Uh, I think that at some point a, a team becomes a little too top-heavy uh, if you look at the roster they have now versus the last roster they had that challenged for a cup, it is incredible how much of that supporting cast is out the door, uh, including obviously Alex Kalorn this past summer. Um, I don't like their depth. Uh, they're a little too top heavy. And I, I made this pick before the last left the injury, which obviously is going to make the next couple of, 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 of months a little challenging. And you brought up Samkos. The tip off for me that they might not even like the team that they have is the fact that Julianne Breezeball and talking about Stamkos kind of framed it as, well, we don't want to make any big financial decisions until we know what this roster looks like and, and what our needs are. And that, that speaks to me as a GM. It's like, I don't think we got it. And, and, and I, don't, I don't want to commit a ton of dough to Steven Stamkos now because I might need that money for other things down the line because this team isn't of a championship quality right now. Uh, or one of those teams that potentially could grab a top three playoff spot in the Atlantic, the Buffalo Sabres. And on that note, uh, total no-brainer for locking up Darlene to that deal, right? Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to some people that were surprised by the AAV on that deal, and I'm like, you know, you got it. The only concern for me is internally. Like, from a, from a league-wide perspective, with the cap going up and with other guys getting paid, that contract's going to look fine in a couple of years. The, the issue for me is, well, now you've set the price for what Owen Power is going to be looking for in the next couple of years. And, and does this contract in any way impact his next contract? Because he's a pretty good player, too. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Darlene has, has clearly leveled up as a defenseman. Uh, I think the people that have him in the Norris conversation, I think that's probably a, a good bet to make if you think that the Sabres are going to make the playoffs. Uh, so locking him up as a pillar of that franchise, I think, was a really smart decision. I'm really interested to see this Boston Bruins team. Are their centers going to be good enough? Like, I've made the mistake of last year being like, oh, man, I don't know. This feels like this is going to be the year they finally topple, and then they went out and set a regular season record. So <laughs> what do you think about the Boston Bruins? I think they're the most fascinating team in the league just because we've, you know, we've seen teams fail in the first round after record-setting performances in the regular season. We've not seen teams 
fail in the first round and then they lose their team captain and arguably most important player. Oh, and the second line center too (laughs) is out the door. So like we've not seen that. And so I went to the Bruins camp this summer uh, and I learned two things. One, they are very big believers in Charlie Coyle. They really believe that Charlie Coyle could be a one or a two on a lot of teams in this league and was only a three for them because of the depth that they had with Bergeron and Krejci. And the other thing, too, is that they're really, as much as they're upset they didn't capitalize in that season to win a cup, there's a real sense of, of, of dismay at not maximizing the opportunity to win a cup for Bergeron and Krejci. And I was talking to Brad Marchand about that, and there's a notion within that locker room of, like, the best way to honor the legacy of those guys is to play the way that they played, to continue what they built, and to do the whole Bruins way thing. So I, I think they're going to be a playoff team, um, not only because of the processes that are there and the foundation that's already there, but also because, and this is the biggest reason, they've got what I think is the best goaltending battery in the league, and they have a coach in Jim Montgomery who doesn't miss and whose teams are always really stout defensively and if that's the foundation on which you're building, I think you're going to be in good shape. And I think they're going to scare up enough goals that they're going to win a lot of close games and, and eke into the playoffs. You think the Sabres get back to the playoffs? Well, everybody's got to pick one of the three. You know, <laughs> it's going to be either Buffalo, <laughs> Ottawa, or, or Detroit. You've got to pick one of the three to level up this year. Yep. I am not picking Buffalo. I am actually picking the Ottawa Senators to be Ooh. the one that emerge from that group. Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a lot higher on their goalies than a lot of people are. I think Corpusalo and Forsberg could be a really, really good tandem for them. I think they've got an absolutely dominant top line, and sometimes all you need is a dominant top line to carry you through some games in the regular season. Uh, I like you know the defensive depth with Shabbat and Chikrin. Uh, they're going to have to come overcome some some early adversity and injuries and the lineup absences, but at the end of the day. I think Ottawa makes the playoffs. I am not completely convinced that DJ Smith might be the coach if they make the playoffs, but I do think that they're going to be the one that emerged from the pack eventually and grabs that open spot in the Atlantic. That's going to be a fun race to watch. Uh, what about the Florida Panthers? They got a bunch of injuries to start the season here on their blue line, and the big question is, are they going to be able to overcome them? I also think that Makachuk is essentially the captain of this team, and I'm interested to see the him and the dynamic between him and Alexander Barkov as time goes on as they're both in Florida. But that feels like a side story that I'm just kind of pulling out a little bit. Yeah. I, I, it might also be a little bit of fan fiction too. Cause like, <laughs> I, I think, I think you could have an emotional leader and pace mm. setter on the ice and then also have a, a, a team captain. I mean, there, that, that dynamic is, has played out in other places too, where the team captain, the guy that wears the C, he grabs a lot of respect, but he not, might not necessarily be the, you know, the, the spark or the straw that stirs the drink for that team, which obviously Kachuk is. You know, they, they made some moves in the offseason to try to address the absence of, of Brandon Montour and Aaron Ekblad. The Oliver Ekman-Larsen signing, for example, I think was, was a pretty good one uh, at the, the money they got him at. So I, I think they're going to be able to maintain. I, I, I like the uh, Anthony Stolarz pickup, uh, who used to be the backup in Anaheim, to kind of supplant. Uh, uh, Spencer Knight until uh, Knight's ready to come up from the minor leagues, and and he's he's Bobrovsky's backup at early in the season. So I, I think they've done some decent things to kind of solidify themselves uh, until they're really ready to go. But I think they're going to be okay, and I think they're going to be a playoff team again.
Is the Maple Leafs blue line good enough to have a deep run in the playoffs? For one more year. <laughs> and then and then they, they age out. Then then it's all, you know, canes and walkers and <laughs> and uh and, and mushy peas for dinner. You know, like uh, but but for now, for one more year, I think that they're gonna be uh, okay in the back, uh in front of uh better than expected goaltending. And and playing a system, by the way, from Sheldon Keefe that I think has not gotten the credit it deserves for making this team overall a better defensive team uh, than it was before he, he he went behind the bench. You know, a lot of these guys are better defensive players, Austin Matthews and players like that. So I, I think they're going to be they're going to be fine. Obviously, the, the division is a bit diminished. That plays to their favor. They seem to be trending up while a lot of other teams are trending down in that division. Uh, and I actually have them uh, coming out of the East this year. Oh, boy. Uh, having a uh, Broken the broken the streak of playoff series losses to now emerge from the Eastern Conference uh, to play for the Stanley Cup. I I, I think they'll probably I, I wouldn't say, it wouldn't shock me to see Jersey coming out of the Metro. Devils still seem like a team that maybe needs another year to percolate, especially on the back end now because they're a little bit younger there. But the Devils are a team that I mean uh, would not shock me at all to see them be the team that. That emerges from the East as well. They're they're absolutely stacked, uh, especially up front this year. And if they get any kind of goaltending, it could be their year too. Uh, if you're a Habs fan, what should you expect from that team this season? It's a good question. I, you know, I I think you're you're expecting to see hopefully a full healthy season from Cole Caulfield, and then get a sense of of what those numbers can look like when he plays. You know, 75 to 80 games because I think his goals per game last year was really tantalizing. You want to see what him and Nick Suzuki do together. Um, and, and then, you know, you're hoping that Skoski can maybe uh, grow a little bit and advance a little bit and become a better player. You know, there's some things that you're interested in, but ultimately, you know, it behooves you to not be good, and it behooves you to try to get uh, one of the top guys in, in this year's draft that are not on a Connor Bedard level, but are certainly going to be on a level that could help you immediately and, and really uh, start – the process and, and uh, you know escalate the process and trying to rebuild this team. Is this the season Josh Anderson gets traded? A guy we've heard the last three years about. Wish is Josh Anderson getting traded this year by the Habs? I mean, they probably want his value to go up a little bit before that happens. I'll tell you, the, the guy that I'm like most interested in my team as far as a trade, cause, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen. One, because it feels like maybe like his body's a little broken, and two, because of the contract with Brendan Gallagher. Like when you think about the kinds of players that teams acquire for cup runs, um, I had an NHL executive tell me the other day, there's a difference between a guy that brings toughness by punching someone in the face and a guy who brings toughness in that sort of like Max Domi always has an engine running on the fourth line and gives you incredible shifts in those shifts that he gives you in a game. Like those are the really valuable guys to a contender and, like Brendan Gallagher, if if he's still physically able to do it, is the kind of guy that I would want on my team to fill that role, especially because he also brings that antagonism too. So I'm I'm really fascinated by whether someone's gonna, you know, try to buy him on the cheap at some point because I, if he's got anything left, I think he could really help a contender. Who do you think's gonna be in the sweepstakes for a Cole Iceman or a Macklin Celebrini? Uh, hopefully the Sharks, because that's a team that desperately needs some sort of direction, I think, at this point. I, I, 
I lived in San Jose for a couple of years uh, towards the end of the, the empire, if you will. And uh, it was really sad to see a, a robust and passionate fan base atrophy pretty quickly when it realized it wasn't going to be a contender anymore. So that's a franchise that really needs a jump start. So I, I hope that they can grab one of those top picks. Um, and then the other one, because uh, they're in almost the same sort of situation as the Philadelphia Flyers. You know, they, they obviously picked a, a, a hell of a player last year in the draft. That's going to certainly give them a little bit of direction. But to, to land one of the top two players or top three players in this year's draft or next season's draft, I should say, uh, would really help them as well. And, and the league is, again, like, I think a bit, a bit stronger when you have the Flyers relevant and playing important games against the Penguins and the Rangers and the Devils and teams like that. Do you know anything about A.J. Greer? Yeah, he's a good player, man. He's a good depth player. Uh, you know, brings a, a little bit of feistiness to the proceedings. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, he, it's funny, you know, he was with the Bruins. You looked at the guy and you're saying, oh, this is a, this is a Bruin. <laughs> like, the way he plays mm. was exactly, if you close your eyes and say, tell me how a Bruin plays, that's how he plays. Uh, so I was a little surprised to see him bouncing around a little bit. And, and, and I think he's going to be a good player. Greg Wachinski, NHL senior writer for ESPN. Wish uh, the season's here. Uh, it's going to be fun. going to be a lot of fun. Let's do it again soon. Thanks for this. Don't lose f- hope, Flames fans. I'm usually not right. So All right. take that to heart. Okay, uh, we will. That the Canucks will finish ahead of the Flames. We're very skeptical. But again, we like that you're throwing it out there on Calgary Radio. We love it. Uh, and we hope your prediction is wrong. But that's okay. That's why we love having you on. Let's do it again soon. All right, boys, thanks. There he is on the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest outline. Uh, any chance the Canucks are finishing ahead of the Flames in the, in the standings? Matty? Not a chance. Okay. Things are going to have to go real bad. Like, I, 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 I'm I, not as down on Vancouver. Like, I don't think Vancouver's a playoff team. But I think with a full year of Talkit, a full healthy Thatcher Demko, obviously that Carson Soucy injury sucks, but I like the addition of Ian Cole to help that back end. <sighs> Uh, just to balance it out, Maddie, and don't scoff at me. I, I, I think I think they can be like a nine ten team. I'm not saying they're a playoff team, but I think they're going to be a team that, hey, hanging around Listen. end of April, they might they're going to be that team. Bingo! That's what the Canucks do every year. Exactly. <laughs> Teeter with making the playoffs. Exactly. He's not good enough to make it. Exactly. And not good enough to draft really high. And that Pedersen contract, I feel like it's going to become noise here soon. Okay. I just. You went in the offseason, you said, hey, the defense isn't good enough. We got Ian Cole, Carson Soucy. Sick. Soucy's hurt now. Sick. Now what? I don't like this team very much. I think they got a top line, maybe, if they can all play together again. And then it's what? So you got Pedersen, you got Miller, you got Kizmenko, and then it's Besser, Garland, Beauvillier, Bluger, Suter, Lafferty, Hoglander, Picolson, like a bunch of middle-tier guys. Yeah, they're a- and a bad blue line. And a goaltender who hasn't stayed healthy. They're not going. Why be... would you like the Canucks? But other than that, they'll, they'll finish. Apart from the that, yeah, they're All great. Right. That's why it's fun. That's why the season's uh, it's here. It's today, three uh, thirty. Let's go. Three thirty. Take the Predators today. It's getting a lot out of, of value on the Predators. <laughs> today. Watch some hockey. Take the Predators. Lots of value. <laughs> Um, Megan Mickelson is our Sportsnet 960, the fan flames radio analyst who join us straight ahead to up the season. And also keep those songs rolling in 960, 960 name and location. We'll play a ton at 830. What should be the flames victory song that you want to hear after a flames win? 
960 name and location. GVP is going to play DJ coming up at 830. Uh, it's all straight ahead. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan.